this next Sunday, our 40 Days of Faith is starting. It's this period of six weeks leading up to Easter that Christians have traditionally used. This period called Lent. Have you guys heard of Lent? Right? And we use it here at this church to really push into God. And it's some of our favorite things happen during this time, right? And Peter's going to talk more about that. So would you please welcome our intrepid prayer team leader with a cool British accent that makes every, everything sound so cool, right? So would you give him a warm welcome? Thank you, Charles. I should follow that up sometimes because you always mention my British accent. I should just come up and start talking in a really strong Brooklyn accent. <laughs> that would, like, really throw you all. Or, like, an accent from, from the South or something. Um, it's good, so good to be here, talking to you guys. This weather has been spookily warm, right? And, um, you know, I'm frightened of what comes next. You know, like, it's, if it snaps back to winter, it's going to be kind of disappointing, But then I thought, you know what, 40 days of faith is just a week away, and that will be like our springtime, no matter what happens with the weather, right? So we're going to have like this rolling festival with refreshment and whatever else, and that's going to start even if it's like sub-zero, okay? Yeah? So if you're worried about the weather, don't be, okay? Um, Okay, so 40 days of faith, I just wanted to hear from, in your own words, from somebody here today, just a couple of people, what you experienced when you did it before. Because, like, how many of you have actually been through a 40 days of faith period at the river? Um, Can you just put up your hand so I can see? Okay, that's wonderful. Is there anybody here who's willing to go out on a limb and, in, like, two or three sentences, describe what it meant for you, what it did for you, or anything like that? I'm, I'm not going to go. I'm not going to do any more talking until someone else does some talking. There you go. Yeah. Thank you, Amy. Somebody else, now that you've got, gone off to a, with the, 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 um, the damn walls have burst open with that, haven't they? Come on. Somebody else. All right. <laughs> That's totally fearless. Yeah. Yeah. 
Wow. So did you do the triathlon? You did? And yeah, you survived, yeah. I had a friend who nearly died in the Hudson, like, he had to be rescued, like. <laughs> so the, but they always put the swimming bit first, right, don't they? Yes, good. All right, thank you, Keisha. Thank you so much. So yeah, here at the river, we, we love 40 Days of Faith. I think you've probably gathered that by now, and we've had a great time doing it in the past. It's a, as I see it, like these guys have given you a good kind of idea of, it's a chance for us to set out intrepidly and expand our spiritual horizons. And we can ask God to do miraculous things. We're freed up to do that in new ways both in our own lives, but also in the lives of our friends. You know, praying for our friends is a big part of 40 Days of Faith. And I love that part of it. I love to pray for my friends, and I'm just getting, getting, already getting excited about that. We also, you know, study the Bible together. One of the nice features about 40 Days of Faith is what, you know, members of staff and other people have come together to write a kind of special Bible study just for this period, which will be available on the app. So that's something else to look forward to. And so, you know, at the end of it, not only do we often see some really big answers to prayer and some results that we've been yearning for our entire life, but we also feel sort of refreshed, inspired, transformed, all sorts of good things like that. But each year, I think as Kija alluded to, there's a special twist to each 40 days. And this year, the twist is going to be that we're going to focus on the amazing spiritual practices that Jesus taught us to do, okay? Things like praying for big breakthrough uh, stuff to happen in people's lives. And to that end, we're going to have the workshop on Saturday. Um, it, uh, sorry, Friday. Sorry. Uh, it kicks off at 7 p.m. That wasn't on the slide. The time is in your program. It's going to be right here. Um, and in this workshop, we're going to be looking at how to uh, hear good things for other people. And that's our way of decoding the biblical word that can be a little bit off-putting, because people misunderstand it, not because it's wrong, um, which is prophecy, okay? God spoke through the prophets to reach his people in the past, and then God promised under the new covenant he would speak through anybody who had a connection with him so that we could help bring you know, his goodness into our lives, but also so that we could take his goodness and sort of like help other people as well. And that's how we're going to approach things on Friday night at 7 p.m. We're going to do exercises, specially build exercises to jumpstart this sort of hearing for God for other people, okay? So is it going to be an exciting night? And hopefully it will be a great kickoff for 40 days. And, you know, one of the things that we've asked people to do in the past is describe some of the important things that that happened during 40 days of faith. And so at the end of it, you know, one thing we did in the past is people wrote things on pieces of paper and we put them on the walls. That's something we've done and you can read them. Uh, but we've also kept some of those things, and I'm going to read out three things that, that people felt happened during 40 Days of Faith. Here's the first person. This year, my 40 Days Prayer was for greater joy and happiness. I have been blessed with a wonderful life, but often struggled to enjoy it. Now, though, I feel happier than I ever have. Among many of the reasons for this change is a complete transformation of my dream life. I used to have pretty horrible nightmares every couple of weeks that would really mess up my thoughts for days afterwards. I think some of us have been there. During these 40 days, I've been able to wake myself up before dreams turn terrible. What is more, I've also started to have dreams that are filled with God's presence. It has made such a difference. That's, a, that's kind of amazing, right? If you've ever suffered from that kind of sleep disruption, that's a really amazing answer to prayer. Another person. This 40 days of faith, I began praying for my co-workers at the restaurant where I work. 
I asked all of them if there was anything they would like prayer for. Most of them said no. That's going to happen. I warn you. Most people will say, I don't care. But one person asked if I would pray for his commercial acting auditions. The first audition he had during 40 Days of Faith, I prayed with five different friends of the church throughout the Sunday service. The next week, I got a text saying he got the job and thanking me for the prayer, which he believed had been answered. He had not booked a job in years, and now he's brimming with confidence. He has also been much more open to talking about faith at work. He's been bringing my faith up. Okay? And here's the third person. This is, this is, this is um, somebody that sort of feels like I think a lot of us can relate to. Okay? I'll be honest. I approached this 40 days with a level of skepticism. Life felt like it was in a lull. Honestly, I didn't want to partake. But I pushed forward. I half-joked with God for two major things in life. I needed a visa to be renewed. It's been on hold for a long time. And I wanted an office space for an, an impossibly cheap budget. Kind of pipe dreams. That's why I was lukewarm about it. But as of last week, my visa was approved, and tomorrow I move into my dream office. All during the 40 days of faith. I had a lot of very specific details on what I wanted. They were all met. I'm stunned, humbled, confused, and thankful. <laughs> I love that. Stunned, humbled, confused, and thankful. And I think that, actually, looking at it now, should have been the title of this sermon. But um, the title of the sermon actually is, Does It Get Any Better Than This? And I think that is the question that we need to ask ourselves frequently in life, and especially before something like 40 days of faith. Does it get any better than this? And I think another way of putting that, if you're not quite getting where I'm going with it, is something like this. Am I living life in a way that I can get the most of what God has for me? Or you could put it like this. If I look at what's going on in my life today, my relationships, the things I focus on and care about, the important stuff, is that all traveling in a direction that leads me to be more connected to God, to myself, and to other people? Is that happening? I'm not saying that when I say this, that, that we should expect to get everything we, we want and we shouldn't expect total fulfillment of our biggest dreams and our, and our burning desires and needs. And I don't think, you know, we should, you know, expect to always have fully repaired relationships. I mean, I, I really hope that you get a lot of that and I hope that maybe you get all of that. That would be great. That would be what I would pray for. Um, but it may not happen. But what I'm talking about when I ask this question is, is even bigger and I think even better. What I'm saying is, and what I'm asking is, are we fully alive to God's goodness and all that it can do in our lives and in the lives of other people? I mean, are we fully alive to God's goodness and all it can do in our lives and the lives of other people? Is that you know, enjoying God's goodness, is that the dominant paradigm of our life? Is that the framework with which we view most things or everything? And if it is, I think that we would actually be able to say with complete sincerity, this actually is as good as it gets. We could say that with complete sincerity. If we feel like God's goodness is the dominant paradigm in our life, we could say quite sincerely, 
as good as it gets. And you see, sometimes I think we have to just step outside of everything we have going on and step back and sort of reacquaint ourselves with the amazing connectedness that God is always offering us. You know, I, I realize that I need to step out of what's going on in my life a lot more than I do. Because I'm realizing that life comes at me in so many different fronts. And yeah, I hang in there. I pray. <laughs> I show up at church. I do stuff here. I'm, I'm, I stay committed to my relationships. I try to parent well. You know, and I, I do all those things. And I even like doing all of those things, right? I'm not like saying they're burdens in any way. And I feel connected to God during a lot of those times. But even in the midst of a reasonably functional existence like that, I think we can still end up narrowing or limiting, almost accidentally, the size of what we think that God has on offer for us. Kind of like what Amy was saying. Because what I've realized, you know, a lot of us, most of us, probably all of us, are copers. Humans are great copers. We get by every day. You know, we, we muddle through. We stick it out. And that's great. And that has to be part of life, Right? People rely on us. We rely on others. That's necessary. But as we do that, often we miss things. And I think we miss all that God has on offer. And so I want to look at a letter that the Apostle Paul once wrote to a church in a city called Ephesus. Um, And this is contained in a part of the Bible which we today call the New Testament. And I love this part of Paul's letter to the Ephesians, as people from Ephesus are called, because Paul does a fantastic job of helping us grasp the sheer size and beauty of what God has on offer to us in in all his connectedness. And I'm going to decode the passage a little bit before we dive into it, but Paul basically says something like this, you know, God's love is so big, so deep, so incredible, that it surpasses knowledge, which means it's probably impossible to grasp. But then, I like how Paul has this sort of stops mid-thought and goes, you know what? that doesn't sound quite right to me. You know what? It may be too big to grasp, but because it is so profoundly amazing, I'm going to pray for you to grasp it anyhow. And it's a wonderful piece of writing because it just sort of tells you just how, I don't know what, let's listen to it. Let's go for it, okay? For this reason, I kneel before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth derives its name. I pray that out of his glorious riches, he may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And this is it. And I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. Okay, that's what's on offer from God every day, every day, guys. It's that big, okay? And I see 40 days as an opportunity to reacquaint ourselves with the sheer size of that. You know, I see 40 days as a, as a time to set things aside, certain things aside, to rearrange some things. Maybe we can fast a little bit from something or fast a lot from something big. I don't know, it's up to you. And so that we have more room in our lives, more room for maneuver, so that we can plunge into the depths of Jesus' love or scale the height of Jesus' love. You know, if you're a big climber, like Ray, you could could scale the height of Jesus' love, right? You know, I would probably 
not be that athletic. Um, we can sort of stretch ourselves, you know, when you're at the gym and you're stretching. Think of you're stretching yourself into the width of, you know, Jesus' love. Or just get lost in his love, right? Just lose your way in it and see what happens. And, you know, today I actually do want to spend some time talking about the spiritual practices that Jesus taught us and wants, wants us to enjoy but it wouldn't make sense to sort of dive into the nitty-gritty of that and the practicalities of that without looking at what is meant to drive them, what's behind them. And this is what's behind them. It's God's limitless love and his goodness. It's the stuff that Paul talks about so eloquently. And this is where it all starts, and this is how it keeps going. And I think this is something that we've, a lot of us experience, is you know, when we open our eyes and we begin to perceive the, all the dimensions of God's promise, that's when we feel most alive. That's when we're open. We're naturally open to this idea that we can have fun doing spiritual things. And we're going to have fun on Friday night, okay? It's going to be enjoyable. It's not going to be like, oh my goodness, what's happening next? This is so hard. Um, and, and, and so that, because that's what's behind it, this idea of this, this knowledge that God loves us and wants to give us his goodness. It's kind of like, when you get to know the background of an amazing athlete, right? So, like, there might be a man or woman who's, like, had an amazing athletic career. They might have, I don't know, achieved all sorts of world records or won Wimbledon many times or they may have, you know, won the World Cup or the Champions League or whatever um, several years in a row and they might be at the peak of their athletic career <clears throat> and you're really into this athlete and you sort of watch a documentary on him or her to explore his or her greatness as an athlete. And as, as you do that, you, you, what, what you might often see is the incredible support system behind the athlete that's been there all the years. You know, the coaches, the trainers, the special chefs, the dietitians, the physical therapy people, the surgeons, the sports psychologists, the spiritual advisor. We all need that, right? The parents, the siblings, the friends, the fans, all that. All that supported and sustained the athlete on the way to greatness. And I think that that's kind of how I sometimes think of God's multidimensional love for us. It's always there as this system, this support system that somehow we can walk into it and all his goodness flows out of that into us and then we can go and do things. And Jesus was totally linked into that support system because he had this amazingly close relationship with his father. And the Bible even tells us that when he was around, you know, doing, you know, on earth, he was being filled with the Holy Spirit, which is God's presence, right? That's, that's kind of like he had God with him in many ways. And those, that connectedness that Jesus had enabled him to do some pretty amazing things. And when he came into people's lives, he was able to do things that had not been done before. He was able to upend lives in the most amazing way and include everybody in them. And he was always filled with God's love. And you can sort of see that in how Jesus prays for people. If you think about it, when you look at the Bible and you see how Jesus interacted with his father, it was very close, but it was unforced. There was this kind of naturalness to his link with his father, with his relationship with his father. He just assumed that his dad was there for him and his, as a son he was going to you know, get stuff from his father and then they would bring his goodness into the world and it was this wonderful kind of unforced connection. 
And that unforced nature of the relationship came out in everything that Jesus did here on when he was like praying for people, when he did spiritual activities. And and that unforced nature of that relationship with his father came out in the unforced style of doing ministry. And the disciples then found it much easier to do the things that Jesus taught them to do. And so what you see there is this God's love worked all the way down the chain to the disciples. You know, this link with Jesus and the Father, that was unforced. It led to an unforced style of ministry. The disciples were able to access it, and then they were able to pass it on, and we have it today. That's how the waterfall works. That's how God's love cascades down from what Paul talked about to us today. And it works. It really works. I want to look at it working right here in a passage that describes Jesus doing an overtly spiritual act that brings a breakthrough to somebody who was really struggling. And it's from John's Gospel, which is also in the New Testament, chapter 5. After this, there was a festival of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now, in Jerusalem, by the Sheep Gate, there is a pool called in Hebrew, Bethsaba, which has five porticos. In these lay many invalids, blind, lame, and paralyzed. One man was there who had been ill for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and knew that he had been there a long time, he said to him, Do you want to be made well? The sick man answered him, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. Jesus said to him, Stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. Now that day was a Sabbath. Now, one reason I like this scripture for 40 days of faith is that Jesus enters a place that might be quite familiar to us. It's routine, it's ritualistic, there's a sense of stagnation. And the, the reason that there's all this talk about the water being stirred up is because people thought that if you, when the water started to move, if you jumped in then, then or not jumped in, but entered into the water then, then you might be healed. And so there's a sort of disconnectedness there. It's not really relational. There's this impersonal force which causes the water to stir, and then suddenly, if maybe it can work, you can sort of like get into it, and something might happen. So there's stagnation. There's not much connectedness there. But Jesus enters the scene, and he immediately sort of goes up to this guy and starts asking the man if he wants to be healed. He connects. And the disabled man replies in an answer that doesn't have much hope at all. He says this, Sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. And while I'm making my way, someone else steps down ahead of me. But the really cool thing at this point is is now that it's Jesus who stirs things up, right? He stirs things up with a breathtakingly simple healing. Jesus says, Stand up, take your mat and walk. At once the man was made well, and he took up his mat and began to walk. And I think it's kind of intriguing that Jesus found his way to, to this pool. I don't know what Jesus was doing that day. It says he went up to Jerusalem. There was something going on there. Maybe he got hungry. Maybe he wanted to go out and find a snack, whatever they did in those days, like olives or almonds or something, you know. And he's wandering around. He's like, What's, what are those people over there? And he found them. Maybe that's how it happened. But I also like to think that Jesus went out looking for people that he could help. Like he probably heard, yeah, if you want to find people who need healing, you need to go to Sheepgate. So he goes to Sheepgate. That that was how his mind worked because he was filled with God's love. 
He was kind of switched on in that way. He had that awareness. And so he went there because he knew, he had the confidence. He was brimming with sort of God's love and God's confidence. He knew that if he got there, he could actually help someone. And what I found is that over time, it's easier to be empathetic like that when we live in God's goodness, when we believe it for ourselves, when it's real to us, when we're open to all the dimensions of Jesus' love, when we actually take his invitation at face value and walk into it and get lost into it, when we actually say, God, I don't feel like your goodness is real today, and we pray that, and then it becomes real. That sort of thing opens our minds. And honestly... Sometimes I think the best thing about faith is that it opens my eyes. I mean, if that's all I got from having a connection with Jesus, having a faith in Jesus, I'd be glad just with that and everything else would be gravy, right? But, it, but obviously I like all the other stuff as well. But just knowing that being connected with Jesus opens my mind, helps me see things that I currently don't see or might never have seen is just enough in itself some days for me. I like that awareness. I don't think I could live without it now. It's worth the price of admission, if you want to put it that way. Anyway, so Jesus walks into Sheep Gate, and he makes conversation. And within seconds, he meets this guy and heals him. And in some ways, it's, it's almost offensive, right? It's implausibly simple. It seems too quick. You know, at the back of my mind, I'm like, well, the guy didn't even say he wanted to be healed. He, he, he didn't even say... You know, Jesus didn't say to the guy, you know, I need a response from you that says you want to be healed. I need to see that you want to be healed before I heal you. It, it seems offensively simple in some ways. Like, the religious part of my mind is thinking like, well, he should have, like, required some sort of step of faith from this guy. I mean, come on, you know. And, like, it's not there. Jesus doesn't. He does, he does it other times. I want to be careful. There's lots of other times where Jesus sort of says... You know, the fact that you just confess faith is a great thing, and that probably helped you get healed. So I'm not being black and white here, but it's really interesting that we have this extraordinarily unceremonious healing, okay? And I like what that says to us today, okay? It says that when we pray for healing or some other big breakthrough in somebody's life, we can just keep it simple. We can keep it, it's free for us to keep it, we're, we're able to keep it simple, and so we can actually focus on doing it. We don't have to focus on the extraneous stuff. We can focus on the thing itself. So like, if you've ever come back for prayer on prayer team, you know, somebody might, you go back with your knee and you say like, my knee is, you know, really bad right now. And someone will go like, knee, be healed in Jesus' name. And that's more or less it. I mean, I think I could do with some serious prayer team attention right now. I feel like got, I play soccer regularly and on Friday I played a game 90 minutes, 6.30am kickoff. Didn't really want to go but I had to because I signed up. <laughs> and I looked at the team sheet and I saw that the two best strikers that ever played with us I was having to defend against them. Like amazing athletes and like I, and it just was horrendous. I was getting kicked all over the park. At one point, my hips were over here and my body was over here. <laughs> it was horrendous. It was a disaster. It was a total disaster. And so everything really hurts. So I have bruises everywhere. So, Eric, can you sort of like get three people to pray for me? But keep it simple. You're going to keep it simple. Yeah. Hips be healed. 
here. And we do it that way because it just keeps the bar low, because we love the idea of keeping it low so that you can all get involved, but so that you can all step over it. And I also like to keep it simple because it sort of is insurance against things getting weird, okay? So, like, you know, we all know how, like, if it's super spiritual sort of environments, it can often be exploited and things can go too far. And, um, but if you say to people, just pray for that person in your normal voice in a public place like that, not much can go wrong, right? Not much can go wrong. So you see what we have here, right, where we've got to so far. I think what I'm trying to get and say is that we have this pretty sort of attractive one-two punch, okay? We have this enormous store of God's goodness, his love, you know, that we can draw down. It's a limitless resource. We can get lost in it. We can fill our days. We can make it real for ourselves. It's powerful. It's inexhaustible. It's enjoyable. And as we live in that love and goodness, we're going to probably find ourselves wanting to do the sort of things that Jesus did, like at the pool. It flows that way. The waterfall cascades all the way to us today. And we'll keep cascading as we do it. And so as that happens, it will be enjoyable. It'll be unforced. And it'll be good for other people who are experiencing it through us. Right? That's where we got to. So here are some practical suggestions. These are some hands-on ways in which we can explore what we just talked about. Okay? Number one, chat to God about what you dislike about overtly spiritual practices. I'm absolutely certain that there are many of us here today who feel a lot of discomfort about things like praying for people to get well or listening to God's voice. And that's totally understandable. You're not disqualified in any way by having those reservations, okay? Let me just say that. And I have struggled with many big objections myself over the years. And one big one I'm sure you have is, how do you know it's God? When something seems to happen as a result of prayer, it could just be coincidence, right? Or why do some prayers seem to get answered and some not? And those are highly important questions that I expect us all to struggle with in some form, you know, for a long time. And hopefully they won't get in the way of of certain things, but I I just want to be really real now and, and recognize that they will be there. And I don't have answers to them that would stand up in a court of law. I can't bring out a folder with proof in it that it's always God doing something, you know. That's never going to happen. Let me be really upfront with you. But what I have found over the years is that it just is wonderful to chat with God when these reservations come up. I can be like, God, I mean, it was just so odd, this thing that happened on prayer team, and it really threw me, and I've lost my enthusiasm, and, I, and, and then I'll be on the subway home, and I'll be talking to him, and then I'll feel peace because he sort of said, you know what that was? That was just this. Don't worry. And then it becomes fun again. And you know what's even better? Actually doing some spiritual activities and then chatting to God about why you didn't like them. Right? So it's often great to put us into a a place of discomfort to walk into it ourselves, knowing that we're kind of only really half in, and then sort of enjoying it, and then being able to go back to God with some of the things that we still didn't like. Because then we've actually got a taste. We actually feel like we can have something to talk about rather than just theory we can say, you know what? This happened. God, what do you think? 
Christians can be really fun like that. And you know what? Friday night. It's a Friday night. I understand it's a Friday night. Okay? We will finish in time for you to still be able to go out. Okay? And when you go out, you can talk to God about these things or with your friends or something like that. You know what I mean? It's can, you know, it's a process. That's my point. Okay? It doesn't end with the evening. My second practical suggestion is this. Do a game day with prayer team. Okay, so here's an invitation to you all from me and my colleagues on prayer team. Come and sit in one Sunday with us while we do prayer team, okay? Come, be our guests. We'll make you feel comfortable. We'll give you stuff. Be with us. You know, watch what we do. Be upstairs with us when we listen for those life situations, when we listen for God's voice and we build them together. And be with us when we go downstairs for coffee and have fun. Be with us when we pray for people. Then be part of the debriefing. Ask any questions you like. We'd love to have you come and see what we do, okay? We're inviting you to come and do that one Sunday. Just come and see me or write it down on any space on the connection card, and we'll make it happen, okay? And I promise you, we won't pester you afterwards to be on the team, but if you like what you experienced, we can talk, right? That invitation is open to you. We'd love to have you. And my third and final practical suggestion is this. Sing songs at home that help you explore God's limitless love and goodness. Okay. Like I said, the backdrop to us pursuing spiritual activities is experiencing God's love, becoming deeply and consistently familiar with his goodness, sowing it, weaving it into our lives, you know, and there are many ways to do that. And, and music can really help, I find. You know, as you all know, as you all probably know, music helps us both get lost and find ourselves at the same time. I like that paradoxical dynamic about getting lost. You know, like you get lost in music, but you also kind of find yourself at the same time. And I think that's why it has this constant attraction and fascination to us. I mean, why, why music never gets boring, right? because we can both get lost in it and find ourselves in it at the same time. And I'm not saying that you don't get bored of certain artists, right? We do. But who gets bored of music, generally? Do you, have you ever met anyone who said, like, I'm done with music? No? Good. I was going to pray for you if you had. But anyway. And I've often found that, like, over the years, that just, like, when I'm starting to get confused or numb or like I feel like I need to reacquaint myself with, with God's love or his goodness is just to really just get lost in music. And I'm not just, um, that's a song, isn't it? Lost in music. Sister Sledge? Yeah. Um, and I'm not just talking about worship music, right? I'm talking about any type of music, perhaps not like music about taking heroin or something like that, but like, you know, like stuff that's like, like, open and sort of like upbeat. I don't know. Whatever you think you can do, whatever good's for you. And I'm not talking about getting just a nice vibe from it. I'm, I'm saying that like over the years, um, I've gotten some pretty clear epiphanies from God when I've been worshiping or like listening to music and driving or something like that or on the subway. Because my mind is freed up. There's something, there's sort of a release in it all. And you guys probably know this. I don't know why I feel like I have to tell you this. And I know that most of you experience this. But I just throw it out because it's been so effective 
for me over the years. Okay? So that's, that's something we can do also. So shall we pray? Okay. So Jesus, we, we love this idea that we can know every aspect to your love. And that's something that we can always come back to and experience and know. And Father in heaven, we know that your goodness is here and that we can access it and bring it into our lives. And I just pray that with us knowing that, we could meet you wherever we are at today with whatever sort of reservation or obstacle or fear or trial, that we'd know that none of that disqualifies us from coming to you now with open arms and saying, Jesus, just pour your love into us through your Holy Spirit. So I pray, Father in heaven, that your Holy Spirit would come now and that we'd have an encounter with you. A powerful one. And that you'd get us, you'd open our minds up for all that could happen over the 40 days of faith at the workshop and in our lives and with our friends. And I pray that as you bless us now, our spiritual horizons would expand. Expand them now, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name.